0: family, welcome to God's Word Transforming Lives. Are you wanting to learn the Bible verse by verse, one letter at a time, with real life application? Then this podcast is for you. My name is Amy and I have been teaching the Word of God to women for over 15 years now. I came out of some trauma from my childhood and it left me feeling so empty. And after searching high and low with everything the world had to offer, I always came up short until I learned the word of God for myself. And it was in that that I became transformed. So if you would like to be transformed by God's word, then stick around and let's do this together. Did you know that I have a study guide that I have written, sisters just like you, who really want to know the deeper things of God, who want to understand God's attributes like love, God is truth, God is righteous, he's just. What does it mean that he's omnipresent and omniscient? And what does that mean for you personally? When people talk about Jesus and being justified and sanctified and to be redeemed, and how can you apply it to your daily life? And so many other questions like, can we really trust the Bible And who are we as man? Is hell real? These are great questions that we need to know the answers to as we are walking in our Christ-like faith. To love him is to know him. And Jesus said that we will be worshiping him in spirit and truth. And it is the truth that sets us free. So if you wanna go deeper in your walk with God and have more understanding of the things that he has truly done for you and know more of the word for yourself, I highly recommend this study guide. I will have a link for you in the show notes on where you can get it. It is on Amazon, and it's called Equipping the Saints. I hope this episode blesses you. Hi, sisters. So today we have a listener question, and the question was, is the communion cup the real body and blood of Jesus? As we know, many Catholics teach and believe this? So that's a good question. I mean, I've had this question uh, many times because of basically in John, when Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood. And if you're not willing to uh, take of it, then you've got me part of me. John six, let's start in uh, 53 and Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, he will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks, my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day for my flesh is food indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks, my blood abides in me and I in him. We can take that literally, but like often Jesus talked in metaphors or parables, or he would take things that are physical and relate them to the spiritual. He did that a lot because he was trying to get them off this this earthly thinking. They were so earthly minded. And so he would often give them spiritual truth using the physical. And so when we read the story in John six, remember he had just fed the 5,000. The I think it was the day before that the day before he had fed them the bread and the, and the um, fish. And so they were already would have had kind of that mindset of how he physically fed them. Now there was a huge crowd here that he was teaching. They had stayed and they were listening to his teachings and Jesus knew that many of these people were not truly for him. They weren't, they weren't really wanting to become partakers of him. They weren't buying necessarily what he was selling. It's just they, they they enjoyed the, the miracles and the healings and in this, And how amazing had it been to see him casting out demons from people and healing leprosy and doing all these amazing things. And then he was a phenomenal teacher. I mean, he was the best teacher they'd ever seen. He was amazing. And so, just hearing what he would have had to say, they weren't necessarily for him. And so, we think of like John 2 20, where he goes, They follow me, but I know their hearts. They don't actually believe in me. And so, he's going to start teaching some hard stuff here. For those who are not truly willing to lay their lives down, really willing to become partakers of Jesus, he's going to start bringing in some truth. But following him is not going to be easy. Following Christ is not the easy road. It is not a road that is going to bring them health, wealth, and prosperity and all these great things. It's really going to bring them persecution and it's going to be very difficult. And so let's look at this. When He's talking about being the bread of life. Remember, he says he he gives them this physical bread, but then he goes on to this whole teaching in John 6, where he starts in John 26, 626. He had just fed them the 5,000. Now he's going to start telling them, I am the bread of life. I am the one who's been brought down from heaven by the father. so you have to partake, you have to eat of me, the bread of life, manna from heaven. He talks about the manna from heaven in 49 through 50, where they had um, their ancestors, then the time of Moses, that they had had that manna come down from heaven and they ate that bread, but they died. They eventually died. It It didn't save them physically. And so he says, but here I am the bread of life. And if you eat of me, then you will live eternally. You will not die. Now we all know we will physically die, but for eternity, we will be with him forever. You know, Jesus often spoke in these spiritual metaphors and, 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 um, parables to try to get them to see it's so much bigger than the earthly. Remember he said that I'm going to, they're going to tear this temple down and in three days, rebuild it. And they were like, Oh, it took four years to build that. What do you mean? You're going to tear it down and in three days, resurrect it. Was he talking about that temple, that physical temple? No, he was talking about his body that he was going to be crucified, buried and resurrected on the third day clearly a metaphor a using a physical thing to speak a spiritual message and so that's important to kind of understand that 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 we're talking spiritually here now when we think of the body and the blood does or the the, the bread and the wine you know coming actually becoming the real body and the real blood that's what these false teachers will say that's why is because of that particular verse so i think we can clearly see that that's he's really talking physically. First of all, he's still standing, he's standing there physically with them. Right. So then we go to the Lord's supper. So he's sitting there with them at the Lord's supper and he breaks the bread and he has the wine. He says, eat of my body, drink of my blood, you know? And, and so, but did he like cut his body? Like, did he cut his physical flesh? I mean, he was still physically flesh. He cut it off and like hand it to them to eat. No, he handed them a piece of bread. If Jesus wanted us to eat his physical body and drink his literal blood, I think he could have cut himself at that moment, took some of his skin or his body and handed it to passed it around the table. And then he'd been bleeding. He could have put that in a cup and passed that around the table. He was clearly talking metaphorically that you are going to of my body. This is an intimacy. You're going to take me in. I'm going to come and be live in you. I'm going to come a, a home in you. Right. He said that, that, um, the father, the son, the Holy spirit would come and make a home in us hmm, that we are living temples of God. How beautiful is that? So the same thing, like we're going to consume him. We're going to, we're going to intimately be walking with him. We are going to partake in his death, burial and resurrection It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And you see these, these implications here. So then we see after the death, burial, resurrection, um, the church is now established. They are taking and partaking in communion which back then would have been more like a meal because they didn't have churches. I mean, they, they went and met in each other's homes. Okay. And they ate together. They spent all day and into the evening together. They were together all day and they would have had a, a communion meal. So they'd have been eating a, a big hunks of bread and dipping it in a big glasses of wine and, and eating feasting. And we know this from uh, 1 Corinthians. And so here's Paul. He wants to make some correction on the feast meal. You know, there was some uh, selfishness going on. The rich were kind of coming in and eating all that they wanted, leaving nothing for the poor. You know, there was just this whole selfish thing going on. They weren't waiting for one another, weren't thinking of one another in this big communion meal. And remember, eating together in the ancient days was considered very intimate. That was a time of really intimately having fellowship with people, really getting to know one another it was a, it was a um, very social and intimate time. And so here, so here's Paul writing to them about taking the communion and t- about the blood and or about the bread. I'm sorry, about the bread and about the wine. He says, this is first Corinthians uh, 11. He says, for I received 23 through 28. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night in which he betrayed was betrayed, took bread. He took bread he didn't take his body. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body in which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant of my blood in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup, okay? And so we underline those, those bread parts because it's like if Paul would have thought that this was actually physically Christ's body, He'd be like, as often as you eat of his body, as often as you drink of his blood, his as often as you, you know, his body, his blood, his body, his blood, he doesn't say that. He clearly is calling it what it is: bread and the cup, which we know is the wine. So he's 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 even seen and in and, and, and coming to agreement with it's the symbolism of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see Paul referring to the elements as. Bread. i think if it would have been christ's actual physical body and his actual blood paul would have made that very plain i think that that would have been very out there and i think we could have seen that clearly in scripture as well the bible is our final authority always i love to also look at church history when i'm studying something out i like to go okay you know What did the early church do? You know, they were, you know, one generation removed from, you know, Christ and the apostles and, you know, one, two, three generations removed. You know, yeah, there was a lot going on there. They still had false teachers and Judaizers and new age Gnostics and all this stuff coming in, but there were some really amazing disciples that sat at the feet of these apostles and they would have learned from them. And so what does some of them have to say? Did they believe back then? Did they teach that the body and the blood was the communion cup, that Jesus's actual body was the bread? And we were eating his real physical crucified body and drinking his actual blood. And so uh, as I was looking through some of the uh, quotes from some of the early church fathers, uh, Tertullian, um, he was 160 to 225 uh, AD. He had said, he was talking to them. He was, he was going up against some Gnostic teachings. He was um, arguing against uh, uh, the heretic Marcion. And one of the things that he had said was, this is my body. This is the symbol of my body. There could not have been a symbol. However, unless there was first a true body, an empty thing of phantom is incapable of a symbol. And so he's talking about Christ in in the communion. And he said, listen, there was a physical body, which is Jesus Christ who died for us. And now we have this beautiful symbol to remember what he has done for us and that he is going to come back for us. And that is the the bread and the wine. And so that's what he was saying in here. The diaduct, which was written in late first or early second century, referred to the um, elements of the Lord's supper as this or the Lord's table. He says in quotes, it's spiritual food and drink. This long passage detailing the Lord's table in the early Christian documents gives no hints of trans uh, transubstation. I have a hard time saying that word transubstantiation, which is what the Catholics say. That's the like actual term for that the body and that the bread and the wine turn into the actual body and the blood. So they, the Catholics believe that when you go to their services and you drink, you eat of the bread and you drink of the wine, that they bless it. And when they bless it, that it literally becomes the blood of Jesus, like his physical actual blood and that the bread literally becomes his actual body and that he's basically being crucified again every day. Sunday, Saturday, whatever they, whenever they do, I think they have multiple, right? So Saturday, Sunday, whenever they have their churches open, they're doing it. And they're saying that he's being crucified. We're basically crucifying him again because we're eating and partaking of it. And so that term is transubstantiation. No, I'm not pronouncing that great. But anyway, so that was the diadoc. Justin, the Justin Martyr, Um, he was born where he was, yeah, from 110 to 165. So he spoke of the bread, which our Christ gave us to offer in remembrance of the body. So that's what he says in quotes, in remembrance of the body to the cup, which he taught us to offer in the Eucharist in commemoration of his blood, commemoration, symbolic in memory of nowhere. Do any of these guys state that this is the physical body or the physical blood there, you see symbolism throughout all of this clement of alexandria he writes uh the symbol of the sacred blood as he's he's explaining the scriptures accordingly and, and he says the symbol of the sacred blood origin simply noted we have a symbol of gratitude to god in the bread which we call the eucharist the symbol i mean they're literally calling it a symbol okay cyprian 200 to 258 um, he would describe the Eucharist in very literal language and he would say the cup of the Lord, which alone cannot represent the blood of Christ. He said it cannot. The, the, he said the cup cannot be the blood of Christ. So he he was, he was, what was happening is in Cip- this particular letter that Cyprian wrote was they, people were just taking water and they were like, oh, we'll just use water for the, for the communion. And he was like, oh, no, we don't do that. Like, he's like, listen the water does not represent the blood of Christ. Okay. You need to be doing wine or grape juice. I know we do that too. You know, back then a lot of wine was wine, but now today in our Puritan age of the West, we, some, some places will offer wine and or grape juice. And then, but most places, obviously it's grape juice either way, because it's the, the, the color, that color that represents Christ. But of course they were they did it with wine because that's what Christ did. He used wine. And so as these people were literally just handing out water to do the communion cup, Cyprian was like, no, listen, we can't do that. It does not represent the blood of Christ. Um, He's like, I marvel much whence this practice has arisen. Like he couldn't believe it. He's like, I cannot believe you guys are trying to use water or orange juice or whatever else. Like, He says that is some places contrary to evangelical and apostolic discipline. Water is offered in a cup of the Lord, which alone cannot represent the blood of Christ. He knew it was symbolic, but he also understood that there was, you know, Christ used wine and that the color was significant. And so, again... If it would have been the physical blood of Christ, he would have said, You cannot use water because that's literally it's literally Christ's blood. So it has to be wine, or yeah, you can use water because we just pray over it and it'll turn into his blood anyway. That could have been said too, but clearly that's not what's being said. Um, and so uh Eusebius of Caesarea 263-340 expounded on a symbolic view of the proof of the gospel. He says, For which the wine, which was indeed the symbol of his blood. He gave himself the symbols of his divine dispensation to his disciples. When he bade them make the likeness of his own body to give them bread, to use the symbol of his body. So as he's going through this letter, he's possibly saying symbol, symbol, symbol. I could give you more. There's more, more, more to give you, but I'm not, there's, I don't think we need to go through every single one of the the teachings. Now, are there some uh, early church fathers that might sound like, if you twist their words, you can say, oh, that's what they said. but Oh, that's what they meant. You can't go back and say, oh, that's what they meant. Because we don't know that that's what they meant. Like this is actual proof that they mean symbol, that this is a symbol. Um, we, but what the Catholics will do is they'll grab a couple early church fathers and they'll twist their words and make it say something that it doesn't actually say, or they'll take it out of context. Big shock because we do, everyone does that all the time, just lifts stuff out of context, but they're literally using symbolic language. They're, they're saying symbol. They're literally saying those words. All right. So we went through the scriptures, Jesus speaking spiritually, metaphorically, Paul being pretty, you know, Cut and dry that it's bread that you are partaking in. Uh, we see, so we've got the scriptures, we've done some early church things. But one thing I always find interesting, um, it's another thing I always look into when I'm studying something out is when did this become teaching? Like, when did this become like was it always taught this in the Catholic Church, you know, or when did it start like actually taking hold? So I like to look at church history. I love church history. I think we can find a lot through church history. But what I found was. Actually, interestingly enough, it was not actually a T the word transubstation did not even become a teaching until the 11th century. So that word didn't even become a word. It wasn't even something that was really taught as a doctrine until then. Then the church, um, because by then the church had the Catholic Church had been taken over by a lot of superstition and a lot of New Age Gnosticism. A lot of paganism had come in. It was it was very corrupt by the 11th century. There was a lot going on. So, but however, it still was not official doctrine. Like it still was not like written in the books. Like this is our doctrine. We believe that the actual body. of Like why not? Like why wouldn't that have been something that had been written all along? Like why why so long? Did it wait? It wasn't even taught as a doctrine till the 13th to 15th century. That's a, that's a 15th, like the 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, like it took, you know, that it took 1300 years, actually 1400 years, 1500 years to make it official. If that was such a powerful doctrine, such a truth doctrine, it says, but he, so, but they did finally make it a final decision in the um council of trent in 1551. so they finally in 1551 heard the council of trent and that council of trent was actually to go against Protestantism because we had all these things like we're doing all these things that are not biblical like that was martin luther's gripe right like we are this is some unbiblical stuff going on here we are not even teaching the true gospel anymore the catholic church had gone apostate and so Martin Luther come up and said, listen, we got to get back to the scriptures. We got to get back to the word of God and the actual gospel of Jesus Christ, because we have gone apostate. And so the Trenton, the Council of Trenton got together and, and they were just just wanting to just take out all the truth of the Protestant movement and keep all their apostasy, false gospels and lies. and that's when they added in because that was one of the arguments like really it turns into the actual blood and body of of Christ like really. And so they made it an actual official doctrine in 1551. So it's like, okay just not seeing it. I'm not seeing it in scripture. I'm not seeing it in early church history. I'm seeing that it's a much, much later doctrine that by then the Catholic church had already started venerating. They've venerated Mary. They're praying to saints. They're paying, they're paying um, indulgences to get their people out of purgatory after they die. I mean, they're, they're superstition, like where their objects have power. And I mean, it's very cult-like. There's a lot of new age witchcraft that goes in with with all this but anyways that's a whole nother soft topic but then my final thing is well I mean if it's the physical body and the physical blood of Jesus like we have science for that now like we literally can test that you know they probably couldn't test that back then i thinking they didn't have labs and and microscopes and all the science that we have today all the technology and so it was easy to like convince people that it was the but the, the body and the blood but not guys, we've got science. Like we can literally take the bread and the, the cup that they're serving after they bless it and we can test it. And um, and it has been tested many, many, many times. And every time, you know, this is going to shock you, it comes back flour and fermented grapes or if it's grape juice, but it's wine, because it looks like we use wine. They may use grape juice. I don't even know. doesn't matter. It comes back. It's grapes. It comes back. It's flour. It does not come back with DNA of Jesus Christ or his flesh of his body. And so I think we've got plenty of proof that the bread and the wine do not turn into Christ's blood or his body. But rather, it is a very important symbolic beautiful representation of what he has done for us, that he gave his body up for us and he shed his blood so that you and I can be free from the wrath of God and be reconciled back to the father, our creator to be grafted in, to be called sons and daughters and Jesus is returning for us. And so that's, what's beautiful. And we need to take that seriously when we gather together we are to partake in the body and the blood as a symbol the bread and the wine and commune together around the lord's table remembering the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ and re- and be re- and just remember that he's coming back for us i don't think we take it seriously enough in the churches i don't think we do it often enough in the churches we think it's become a ritual or whatever it is such a beautiful time to unite the saints around the table and, um, you know, really, you know, take that time as we're taking the communion cup to just examine our hearts. And are we in unity and are we, you know, filled with the Holy spirit? Do we love the Lord? And are we grateful for all that he has done and is doing? And are we really anticipating his return? So Lord, I thank you for questions like these that help us just to think more deeply about things to help us to get in and and just really, Search out your word, search out the truth, because it's the truth that sets us free, Lord. And so we thank you for that. Father, I would ask that you help us to take seriously the participation of the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine and what it symbolizes and and what it means, and that we would um, even talk to our elders at our church about the importance of doing it and doing it often. in protecting the communion cup and examining ourselves and, 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 and taking seriously what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, to be those living stones put together. Lord, bless my sisters, touch them, Lord, be with them today and every day. Unite us, Father, help us to love one another well, as we are waiting and anticipating your beautiful return in Jesus name. Amen. amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Family, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If it has blessed you in any way, would you give me 30 seconds and share it with a friend of yours? One more small little favor, if you would, head over to whatever podcast source you're listening to this on and give me a five star review. That would be so great. It helps get the episodes out there to other people who may be wanting to learn God's Word. Again, Don't forget, guys, until next time, it is a crockpot faith, not a microwave. With God's word, discipleship, and patience, you too will be transformed for his good work. Grace and peace I leave with you until next time.